My name is Jenny. My name is Ted. My name is Gray. And, and this, this is Anamorphology. The Invasion, The Visitor, The Encounter, The Message, The Predator, The Capture, The Stranger, The End, The Secret, The Android, The Forgotten, The Reaction, The Chain, The Unknown, The Escape, The Warning, The Decision, The Spread, The Departure, The Sound, Discovery, The Proposal, Threat, The Weak, The Conspiracy, The Separation, The Deception, The Suspicious, Resistance, The Extreme Sacrifice, The Diversion, and The Beginning. Should we talk about Megamorphs 2? In the time of dinosaurs! <laughs> it's so good, you guys. <laughs> it was great. So you like this one? I really did. It might be Aww. one of my favorites so far. It's so silly, but also so many good dinosaur facts. I'm so glad. I was a little worried when you were like, this is going to be my favorite. I was like, oh no, what if she doesn't like it? No, I loved it. Okay. Amazing. I really did. Do you want to hear what happens? I do. I want to hear do, all about it. Okay. It starts with Marco seeing a news report about a nuclear sub missing off the coast. This is, by the way, the only thing I got right in my prediction is that it was Marco's <laughs> fault. <laughs> Everything else was incorrect, but I did get that right. So he goes to tell the others who agree they should help find the missing submarine. They morph into dolphins, they find the sub, and while they're heading back to shore, the nuclear missile in the sub goes off, creating a Sario rip, like we saw back in The Forgotten. They're transported 65 million years into the past, into the late Cretaceous period, are immediately attacked by a pleosaur, and Tobias and Rachel are eaten. So the other four escape. They think Rachel and Tobias are dead. Jake, Marco, Axe, and Cassie are very confused about where and when they are, but then they see a T-Rex eat a baby dinosaur, and they figure it out very quickly. (laughs) Um, The T-Rex chases them and tries to eat them. Axe manages to kill it. And they set up camp, notice a large comet overhead, um, but Axe says, it's, don't worry, it's not going to hit everybody. Um, that is what we like to call a Chekhov's gun. <laughs> they, see <some> weird <laughs> um, they see some weird lights, and they're almost killed by a stampede of some kind of brachiosaur. But they manage to escape and acquire a T-Rex. And Axe explains that those weird lights were alien, alien-made, and these four find a valley filled with buildings and spacecrafts. In the meantime, Rachel and Tobias escape from the belly of the Kronosaurus, but Tobias has a broken wing. And luckily, Rachel is very fierce, and Tobias knows all about dinosaurs. He is, of course, my very favorite. Um, <laughs> they go in search of the others, almost getting killed by a herd of Dinonychus along the way. Possibly Dinonychus. I thought it was Dinonychus. No, it's one of the ones I said. Huh. Not in the song from the We Sing tapes, <laughs> which I'm going to hold that thought. <laughs> Go on. Oh my god, there's a We Sing song about dinosaurs? Dinonychus. <laughs> okay, well now it's that. <laughs> so they almost get hit by a herd of Dinonychus. Tobias acquires a Dinonychus, but its instincts take over. He almost kills Rachel. Then he saves her. And uh, they run into a Spinosaur. But before they can fight it, they're stopped by an alien holding a stun gun of some kind. And it turns out this alien is Vanesque. And they're basically ants that can form into different kinds of shapes. So Rachel and Tobias run away and end up jumping into a ravine, where only some swift thinking and some unusual approaches to pteranodons, including using them as hang gliders, uh, saves them. Luckily, they all sort of meet up with each other in this valley that's filled with the buildings. And the valley belongs to the Mercora, which is a different kind of alien, a thought-speaking race that looks like giant asymmetrical crabs with lots of eyes. They're a peaceful agricultural society, and they're in a war with the Nesk, who are like violent scavengers. 
The Animorphs have this huge conversation about future determinism and decide to attack the Nesk base in order to find a bomb that will help them close the Saria Rip and return to their own time. So they do that, but they have to be rescued by the Mercora. And the Nesk realize the Mercora have new allies and leave the planet, but not before knocking the comet off course so it will hit the Earth instead. The Mercora think they can use that nuclear bomb the Animorphs stole in order to destroy the comet, but Tobias and Axe rig it so it won't explode for reasons we'll discuss in oh, detail. Oh, we will. We will. Then the Animorphs fly to where they first appeared in this time period, just in time for the blast of the falling comet to close the Saria Rip and send them back to their own time. Marco's summary about halfway through, I thought, was also very funny. He says, I mean, does anyone else think it's just plain weird that we're dinosaurs getting ready to steal a nuclear weapon from a bunch of ant-like aliens 65 million years before the first human being ever said, hey, I know what, let's try (laughs) cooking the meat this time. Does anyone else find this slightly nuts? Nope, Rachel said. (laughs) Marco's good at those I really love those. They're very funny. He's the good, like, hang on, let's reflect on how weird this is voice. Exactly. Which is very good. So, yeah. What was your take on this book, Jenny? I liked it a little less than I expected to. I do really enjoy the sort of the new crazy setting, going back to the past, figuring out how to survive. Like, what would happen if the Animorphs ended up in the time of the dinosaurs? It's just a really fun question to answer. Uh, it had a little less, and I think we saw this with Megamorphs 1 also, it had less interiority from the characters. Uh-huh. We, we didn't uh-huh. get mm-hmm. the long like emotional arcs that you normally get in a book, which focuses only on one person. Uh, but I really liked some of the ethical stuff that came up. I think that mm-hmm. was the highlight for me. Like That's what I latched onto most strongly this time. I think that's a good way of putting it. I do feel like the point of view swapping makes it harder to like get inside one character's head in an yeah. interesting way. It's fun for antics, I feel like. Yeah, there mm-hmm. are a lot of good antics. And there's so much good Rachel and Tobias stuff in yes. this one, which is also, I feel like this is really <laughs> the first book, you know, they get put off in their own like B-plot yeah. for a significant portion of time. Everything about it is great. It is interesting how both the Megamorphs books so far have gone to lengths to separate the characters, which makes a lot of sense if you're alternating points of view. And I think this one does it really well with like the, this group's about to be attacked by dinosaurs, switch points of view. <laughs> this group's about to be attacked by dinosaurs, switch back. Uh, it's a very like exciting, it makes for a really good read. It felt, in both cases, it felt like a stretch, like mm. the mechanism that they used to divide the group like that. Like the first time it was, uh-huh. Rachel's has amnesia. <laughs> <laughs> which followed her out of Eagle Morph. And this time, the thing where Tobias's wing couldn't heal was pretty blatantly not following canonical rules. Right. Um, which Kay Applegate acknowledged at the time. I remember reading the Scholastic website when I was like, 13. <laughs> oh my and God, she had an F- she had like a, not an FAQ, she had like a Q&A thing where people would send questions and someone was like, why why didn't his wing heal? She was like, that's what I like to call a Kesu. Catherine Applegate screws up. Aww. <laughs> like they realized it really late in the process and that's why there's that disclaimer of like, I don't know, maybe one of these three reasons. But like so much of the plot was structured around it that like, but yeah, it is, it's fun that they split them up, and I really loved that they split off Rachel and Tobias. Me too. <laughs> it's very cute. There's a lot of great, Ted, as you said, a lot of good Rachel and Tobias. Moments. Is this the best Rachel book that we've ever had? She's such a badass. <laughs> Everything she does is remarkably cool. <laughs> She's very cool. 
like Tobias gets eaten by the fish, and I'm pretty sure she also got inadvertently eaten by the fish, but it's from Tobias's point of view. So temporarily, it seems like Rachel jumps inside <laughs> a dino fish's mouth to save him, and then she demorphs into stomach acid, morphs a grizzly bear, and then realizes that she's suffocating but that she's inside this creature next to its lungs. So from the inside, punctures its lungs so that she can breathe yep. and finish tearing her way out. It's amazing. It's it's so cool. She's and that's only that. like one of like five really cool things that she does. <laughs> yeah, she's very badass in this. Yeah, she definitely... There was a really great moment when they're, they're facing some huge dinosaur that I'm sure Gray remembers the name of. And the dialogue is just, we can still take him. That would be Rachel, of course. I'd never say anything so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I found, I actually quoted the um, the bit that I was just talking about. So you, it, it's Tobias's point of view when they get eaten, and then it's Rachel's point of view when they escape. Mm-hmm. And so that chapter starts with her saying, my lungs were screaming and heaving. I was blind. My skin was burning. I was being pummeled, crushed, smashed, beaten. I was getting mad. <laughs> I love it so much. She's just so fun. Rachel was definitely my favorite when I read the series as a kid, and she's just such a satisfying character. And there's this whole thing, (laughs) Tobias is like, he's the dinosaur nerd, and he's so reluctant to tell her that they're in the past, because it's like, he feels a little defensive about the fact that he knows so much about dinosaurs, and he's like, oh, isn't this really weird? I don't understand it. And as soon as he's like... Yeah, so I think we got trapped in the past and there are tons of dinosaurs. Rachel's just like, oh yeah, we're going to need better morphs. <laughs> He's just like, accepted, on to the next thing. How can I get even bigger and scarier? Yeah, she doesn't question it at all. And then later, uh, she's complaining about how she's a Deinonychus, which is a really dang cool morph. Yeah. Okay, um, she's not a T-Rex. But she's, she's not only a T-Rex. A Deinonychus. She's like, I have to be like crappy. babysaurus. So there's the thing at the end where apparently they don't get to keep the dinosaur morphs. I was like, that feels kind of bogus. I feel like they should have kept them. Like, it's not like in 11 where the timeline gets erased. But then I was like, but Rachel didn't have a T-Rex. She would never have been okay with this. <laughs> it would have just been like well, unending trauma. I was so I was thinking about this. 18, so they acquire Lyrans, but it, it's unclear that they still have those morphs. Mm. So I'm wondering if just time travel negates morphs. Like, pretty much every oh. time. 11, they don't keep the morphs. 18, it seemed like, since there was, like, that snapback thing. They don't mention anything about Lyra in this book. But Yeah, that's that's interesting. In 18, it makes sense because they were never actually there. In this one, they were actually there, but maybe the time travel just does that. Hmm. I'm trying to think of what happens when the Elemist makes them time travel, but I don't think they Well, they didn't the acquire morphs. anything then. Yeah. What if Rachel had acquired her older self? That would have been so cool. She could have been an actual adult when she was talking to George Edelman in his bathroom. Right. That would have been so useful. I'm 25. <laughs> Still with no shoes, wearing a leotard, <laughs> but you know. Um, yeah, and so I just, I have so I have so many Rachel things. So basically, like, Rachel sets Tobias's wing in a splint, and then they're just hiking around. And Tobias is like, yeah, you know, I felt a little guilty resting on Rachel's shoulder. I was probably hurting her by, like, gripping my talents into her, but she didn't show it at all. Mm-hmm. And then you get Rachel's point of view, and she's, like, walking through sawgrass, <laughs> and her feet are getting torn to shreds, and she's she being completely stoic. She's mm-hmm. like, this is my life now. Just got to do it. He definitely is digging his talents oh, in. Yeah. She's like, I could tell he was trying to be gentle, but every time he moved, he dug them in a little more. Yeah. I did find it really interesting. It was a really nice character thing where she has a lot of trouble putting the splint on Tobias's mm-hmm. wing. 
And, you know, after he says she's, she was sweating and pale, I don't know how Cassie does things like that, she said, which was a really nice note on, like, the different types of toughness that there uh-huh. are. Like, Cassie is not so many of these other things that Rachel is, but, like, she has this kind of, like, she will go through any sort of medical procedure. And, and we see that it's, this is a perfect Cassie book, too, because yeah. she's a super survivalist, right? Like, Axe takes down a T-Rex, mm-hmm. and Cassie is like, how can we use every part of the animal? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we will turn its skin into sandals, right. and we will make jerky for later. We We're scavengers use, now, you guys. Yeah, we'll use one of its tendons to start a fire to yeah. create a bow starter. Uh, she's Cassie, super practical. Amazing. Very, very practical. I, will, I think one thing that this book does very, very well is it brings them back to their band of five archetype mm-hmm. in a way that they can kind of move out of those roles in some of the other books we've seen. And we've talked about that, but in mm-hmm. Megamorse, because they're moving back and forth, it's back to being like, we have five That's people. True. That's why it feels so fun. Cause they're yeah. all just doing the thing that they're good at. Yeah. And it's very, and the things, the places where that's so clear, I mean, it's all of Rachel, everything Rachel yeah. does. Um, Cassie has the very practical thing, but she also completely freaks out when she kills a Triceratops mm-hmm. while she's in the T-Rex morph. She loses control of the morph and kills a Triceratops, and she just completely freaks out about it and has this really wonderful kind of, we are smarter than animals, we have to make better decisions, mm-hmm. like the heart mm-hmm. philosopher moment. Marco's cracking jokes and keeping everybody moving and like kind of being the logistics person. There's a bit where um, Axe talks about how Jake has to make decisions um, and that that's his leadership. Was this the first time that Axe references the thing where how Jake recognizes that not making a decision is also a decision? It might be the first time he's called out. I have such a strong memory of like that as a thing uh, for like Axe talking about Jake. And I've kind of been waiting for it to come up and I think this is the first time. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. That was like a thing that like I'd never thought of before and it was such a cool insight. It's really good. And then you get Tobias being small and smart, right? He knows Mm -hmm. everything about dinosaurs. Oh, yeah. He remembers all of these crazy facts. Like he's, he's very smart. This is, yeah. like, the most he's ever in, like, the brain's position. Yeah, this is very Ravenclaw. Like, yeah. <laughs> all of his book knowledge coming into play. And the other thing about that is that Axe is not really in this book very much. He is a plot device that shows up when they need a little bit of information or, like, a rescue. And then he kind of disappears to the background. Yeah, he takes bit. out a T-Rex, which <laughs> is does. pretty cool. That was so cool. And then he's, like... I'm not going to be able to do that again. And Jake's like, sure, sure. And he's like, no, I'm not going to be able to right. do that again. And it was great. Yes. And he only has four chapters, which is the few. I was going to ask you, so how do they break out? I bet Rachel and Tobias have more because they're off alone. Yes. Uh, well, Tobias has the most in this one. He has That's so good. eight of the 37 chapters. Uh-huh. Jake and Cassie each have seven. Oh. Rachel has six. Really? Marco has five and Axe has four. That feels right. There wasn't as much Marco stuff. Yeah. Marco was the one whose band of five role, I feel like he didn't really get a moment to shine. Mm, He has some good character interactions, but I felt like in this kind of scenario, he doesn't bring a lot to the team. Yeah. Um, And you get his point of view. They use him when he's like, they're fleeing the T-Rex from the first time. (laughs) And he's just like talking about how out of his mind afraid he is mm-hmm. he pees his pants he's like about to get eaten it's like terrifying but he never really i guess he's so out of his element he can't bring any kind of his sense of how the world works to bear on the situation he does crack a bunch of jokes but yeah, which is fun his voice is 
the most distinctive of all of them. It's it's always interesting reading a book like this because I don't always notice whose name is at the top of a chapter. Like sometimes it's a very obvious switch. And sometimes I'll be on the second page and be like, wait, who is this? Oh, this line, this is definitely this person. And that happened most often with Marco where I was like, oh, this line, that is no one else's I will line. say there were two chapters that were Jake chapters where I forgot it was him. Jake yeah. is the one where it's easiest to forget. Yeah. He has sort of the most neutral narrative voice, yeah. if mm-hmm. that's a thing. Yeah, he also, like, he didn't really get very many Jakey moments from his point of view. I kind of yeah, remember no. him. There's one bit after Rachel and Tobias are missing, presumed dead, where he's, like, really beating himself up in a very Jake-like way, where he's like, oh, we should have been sharks, we should have been sharks. And but, Cassie comments on it, mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. she's like, oh, he was right to pull me away from the monsters. Right, like, I right. should have I should have told but him that. We don't really see Jake, like, making tough decisions or really worrying about things. Yeah, we see, I, I forget whose point of view it is, but he's the one who decides, like, let's reveal our morphing power to the Mercora. He's like, my decision, he said heavily. And that's, again, we're not in his head. It's right. just something from right. the outside. The biggest decision making is actually Tobias in this book. Which are we, are I don't know when we talk about, about that. Should we just jump into it? This is <laughs> this is like most of it. Let's do it. I I have thoughts and feelings about this. So the biggest decision is what to do at the end of the book, right? So the Mercora have they there's a nuclear bomb that they stole from the Nask. The Mercora think they can use it to knock the comet back off course so it won't destroy them and therefore the earth and tobias realizes yeah and the reason they have to do this is because the mercora were helping the animorphs try and get back to their own time right Right. so Mm -hmm. the nesk were so humiliated by the animorphs attack that they decide to flee earth and then Mm -hmm. they're getting revenge right Mm -hmm. so it's like the animorphs fault that this is happening right 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 like they sort of helped and that the nesk are leaving but oops the nesk are you know attacking on their way out sending this comet Right, so they've got to try and and knock it back off course. And Tobias realizes that there's no fossil record of the Mercora, that this is the time when the dinosaurs are killed off, and that in order for mammals to evolve, this extinction event has to happen. And so he convinces Axe of this, and Axe diffuses the bomb so that there's no way for the... A comet to be knocked off course. And so they see the comet land that will wipe out the Mercora, but also all of the dinosaurs. And Tobias tells Axe to do this, and he doesn't tell the other Animorphs that he did it until mm-hmm. after the Mercora are leaving with the bomb. He's like, we have to get out of here before the comet hits. And they're like, the comet's not going to hit. And he's like, no, it is. I had Axe disable the, the nuke. Mm-hmm. And they're all really mad, and they have this whole discussion where he's like, well, this had to happen. I made the tough choice so that you guys didn't have to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so what do you think about that? Well, Jake's reaction is he's mad at Tobias, and this makes him think Tobias is right because he doesn't <laughs> have to be mad at himself, mm-hmm, right? Yeah. So it, from Jake's point of view, he kind of sees it from a leadership perspective, that Tobias saw that a hard call had to be made, and he's sparing mm-hmm. the others. Mm-hmm. So that's what that's Jake's take on it. What were you going to say, Gray? Well, I think, that's, I think that's right from a, why he makes the decision in the way that he does. He's He's very clear about... You know, he says to them, I did what had to be done. I made the call. So none of you would have to feel bad about it. Start morphing and I'll explain it later. Like, just do it. But then as they're kind of flying away, he explains that his reasoning is the comet has to hit. And it's the only way that mammals will be able to evolve. 
And that the, again, because there's no sign of the Mercoris, they also all have to be killed. And without this happening, Homo sapiens will never evolve. So the comet has to hit in order for all this to happen. That is an awful lot of determinism. Like yeah. more than we've seen, I think, in any of the other future books. Yeah. It's actually the opposite of determinism. It's, well, it's sort of like we could change absolutely everything. It is not deterministic. But it it's sort of yeah. determinist from an ethical perspective. Like because things went the way they did, things should go the way they did. Mm-hmm. Like, because this is what happened, this is what should happen, which I don't think are equivalent statements. I actually think Tobias shouldn't have done that. Yeah. I think it was the wrong thing to do. Like, Interesting. Yeah. Say more about that. I think it was bad, but I still think... <laughs> I don't know that I would have made a different decision. Uh, that, uh, that is a different question. Right. But uh, let's, let's, really talk, let's talk about why you think it, he did the wrong thing. I think that you have more ethical obligation, like, just in the moment where they were in, you know, 65 million BC or whatever, they had more of an ethical obligation to save the lives of the people who were already alive than the people who theoretically would be alive in the future. Like, they were not alive yet. You don't owe an obligation to create life or to shape life in the future in in a certain way. I think the fact that they or from the future complicates it a little in that they already know that's what happened that resulted in everything in their world, like things being the way they are. But I think that doesn't, it doesn't cancel out their obligation in the present. Like they're not saving the lives of like 8 billion humans versus these Mercora. Those lives don't exist. They're they're trying to save the lives or not of these Mercora who do exist. I think that's true. Tobias would say he's being a consequentialist. He's extremely confident that he knows the outcome of his decision will be the existence of the future that he knows it, right? Mm-hmm. And that I think that's what gives him the license to kill off all of the Mercora. I don't think and that it, it does give him the license. Like even if no, but I think that's his argument, that. right? It's, yeah. He's making a mm-hmm. consequentialist argument, which is that I know that I know that the consequence of this bad decision will be a net positive based on you know my yeah. calculation, right? But you don't know what would have happened, like yeah, and they could, for all they knew, they were in an alternate reality, right? Let's Maybe not there's even a, go there. No, no, no. But I'm just saying, <laughs> like it's. I think this is kind of where you started. Yeah, narratively. It seems like it's, oh, it's a time loop. And Tobias always created human civilization. No wonder the Elemos thinks he's so important, right? I mean, that like, does seem to be true. Right? Yeah. So, like, if that's true, then it's like, oh, well, you, you sort of don't have to... The narrative doesn't really want you to think about it, right? Yeah. I feel like we're supposed to buy Tobias's hand wave. I think we are. But I don't think that Tobias... Like, Tobias might know doing this, and he seems to be borne out by reality, like, doing this will result in the world as we know it. But that doesn't mean that that's the best of all possible worlds, just because mm-hmm. it's the one that they exist in. There's a separate question of, if we don't create ourselves, will we be here to do this in the first place? And then you get into weird paradoxes. Um, so I guess if he hadn't done that, not really sure how that would be resolved. Yeah, maybe none but, of this would have happened. Yeah, in which case, maybe none of humanity would have It's It's unclear how that would We don't know how this universe handles paradoxes. Yes, we do not. So far. Nor do we really know how our universe handles paradoxes. (laughs) That's a good point. (laughs) The other thing about his decision is he talks a lot about rewriting history. And he says, this was was destined to be a day of annihilation. And I'd known from the start. Yeah. 
I'd known from the start we couldn't change history. All of this had already happened 65 million years before I was born. Uh, sorry, Cassie says that. Um, yeah, Jake says something about, like, I guess it's not our place to rewrite history. Jake says it's not our place to rewrite history, and I flagged that and was like, what? <laughs> a couple things. One is, by being there, you have already done that. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. the NASC would not have knocked the comet off course had it not been for the Animorphs showing up. Right? They would still be there locked in a battle with the Mercora, right. and it would have gone very differently. So you He's have- sort of addressing the other point of, like, it's not our place to say that all of human history shouldn't exist. But they are, in fact, writing history. They're not rewriting it. They're writing it. Right. And they write it every day when they do stuff in their own time. Right. But it's, I mean, you could sort of say if they weren't all, if it isn't a totally deterministic thing, then if they weren't always here, then who knows what the effects, the butterfly effects of their presence here will be. Right. Mm -hmm. And I also think it's interesting that the narrative doesn't actually, it's not like Tobias is like, huh, this is the comet that will destroy the earth and it's not going to. So I need to go actively make that happen, right? <laughs> yeah. They still don't. They still don't try and kill the Mercora themselves. It's it's more that kind of like mm. that passive decision of like, oh well, we'll just kind of let it happen, mm-hmm. right? Like I guess now you know we'll see. We weren't really trying to make a bad thing happen, but I guess it's sort of it's like yeah. a trolley problem, right? It's yeah. like what if they have the option of yeah. redirecting the comet and they're like, oh well, we just won't, right? We <laughs> just won't. It's not really our fault that the comet's heading our way, right? You know. Yeah. Right. What if the narrative had shaped it so that Tobias had somehow found out? this is the comet that's supposed to destroy civilization. It's not going to hit. We have to take a nuke up there and make it hit. Mm. Like, that would seem such so much more horrible, even though it's really the same thing. I think it is the same thing. Yeah. I actually, I completely agree with you that Tobias doesn't get out of uh, having He just, like, committed genocide, species. basically. He killed the entire species. Right, mm-hmm. right. And he needs, to, he needs to own that. And I think, I think it's still probably... It, okay, so it's Cassie has that really interesting thing when she comes back from being a T-Rex, right? Where she's talking about how she's freaking out and Marco's like, you were a dinosaur, it's a dinosaur, this is all dumb. Like, why do you yeah. care so much? And she's like, Marco, you have to shut up. You're wrong. We may just be animals, but we're animals who can think. We can imagine something better than kill or be killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think predators are immoral. I'm not an idiot, but I'm a human. And I have to think and care, and I have to feel things. Otherwise, I might as well be some gangbanger or a Nazi or, or an ex says, a yerk. And so it's interesting to go from that Cassie gives this very passionate plea for what it means to be human to mm-hmm. Tobias saying, like, well, I don't have to care about the Mercora because I guess I always killed them all. Yeah. And it's not my response. You know, it's, uh, my hands were tied, right? <laughs> yeah. he, don't have to, he doesn't have to think through the consequences of what he's doing. And I think... Cassie and Tobias are very much set as somewhat opposing philosophical perspectives Mm. in that way. Mm. Because Mm -hmm. throughout, Cassie is having, there are a number of times when Cassie says, you know, I don't think predators are immoral, that whole section. Um, And her approach to, she's got a very practical approach to like, you know, being in, in this time period. And I think she also doesn't really know how she feels about the what happens at the end. Tobias already made the hard decision, she says, and she's got that whole thing about, you know, it was destined to happen. Just she, such a heavy word to throw around. Yeah. Um, and she thanks him, but she's not sure, she says, if, if I was being sincere or sarcastic. And I think that a lot of that is because Cassie also has that kind of internality where she's thinking through these ramifications just like Tobias's, mm-hmm. but 
I think, came down on the other side of that divide. Right. Well, Cassie is very, like, she has a lot of leanings towards, like, deontological moral thinking, Mm. where, like, the act is what matters, not the consequences. And Tobias has some more utilitarian leanings, maybe. Mm. And you do see them conflict here. It reminds me, though, of the thing we said about the Andalite Chronicles, where it's kind of a depressing ending, and it ends that way in large part because it's a prequel, Mm. and it's not the story Uh we care about. (laughs) And this is a horrible atrocity that resulted in an entire species being wiped out. I mean, Mm -hmm. an entire sentient species, also all the dinosaurs. Um, And it almost doesn't land with the same weight because Mm -hmm. it was in the past. Like, it doesn't feel like a story that that matters to the same degree. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's sort of a cop-out. Like, it's... And, I mean, that's clearly how the kids are thinking about it, that, like, this, this happened in the past, this already happened, that makes it okay. But it really doesn't. Yeah. It's the time they were in. Mm-hmm. And there's even with the idea of the sort of utilitarian perspective, you know, one of the things that Tobias talks about is that he's making it uh, making it possible for Homo sapiens to evolve as we know they did after the fall of mm-hmm. the dinosaurs. But he also talks earlier about how we don't know what the effects of us being here are. This tiny shrew rat I just ate could have been the one that actually evolves. And so it's interesting that he has both of those thoughts in his head. Like he really is thinking about this and what the, what it means. Well, it's interesting though. I think Tobias to his credit, like you're saying, he's thinking about it both ways. And even though he has kind of a bad feeling about the comet, I don't think it really solidifies into a plan for him until the comment gets redirected. Because yeah. I feel like at mm-hmm. that point, he feels the weight of destiny. He's kind of like, okay, well, you know, I have some suspicions here, but we're just going to try and go back and, like, leave things as untouched as possible. And then when the comment gets redirected, he's like, oh, no, that happened because of us. And, like, it's sort of unlikely that it would have happened coincidentally in the past a different way. You know, like, mm-hmm. it's not like they're taking the place of some Rakora who did the same thing, mm-hmm. right? It's like, he's like, oh, no, right. now it makes sense to me. It must be deterministic. And that kind of gives him the momentum to make the really heartless decision of, okay, well, I see how this plays out. Right, because mm. before you would assume, okay, we're in the time of the dinosaurs. At some point, a comet's going to hit. And then once he sees that a comet is hitting and they have the ability to deter it, even though they caused it to hit in the first place. Right. Like, yeah. Well, so, okay. So let's say it wasn't a deterministic choice, though. What would you have done in that situation? It wasn't deterministic in that if we were in the past, we had the, we would have had the ability to. Yeah, I'm just saying if the if you were given the option of, like, you know, avert that, avert that comet, save the Makora... What would have gone into your decision? Definitely a tough call. Not a decision I would want to be in a position to have to make. But I don't know. I think I think kind of the right decision is to is to avert the comet. And then you don't know what's gonna happen. I'm definitely channeling a little bit of like Chronicles of Narnia, how Aslan's always telling the kids no one's ever told what would have happened. That's mm. I'm definitely hearing that in my head a little bit. Um, Are you making any value judgments or are you just are you just saying you have a duty to the present and not the future i think you have a duty to i mean i do think you have a duty to the future in a sense like you shouldn't 
create a present that it's going to actively hurt the future. Like, that's kind of how I feel about, like, right now with, like, the climate crisis and everything. But I think, but that's because we know there are people who will still be alive 10, 20 years from now, knock on wood, who are going to experience those consequences. I think you don't have a duty towards, you don't have a duty to make people exist who don't yet. You don't have a duty to make life exist that doesn't yet. You have a duty towards the life that already exists. You have a duty to the life in the present. I'm not totally sure that I articulated that clearly. <laughs> so the Mercora being like textually more enlightened beings than humans doesn't play into your decision? No, I don't really. I, I wasn't really thinking about that. I mean, I have a lot of instinctive bias towards humanity existing. So the choice that I would like to make is, you know, let's have things go the way they did. What's, um, what's wrong with fighting for humanity? Well, there isn't any humanity. But if, but you know, you're sort of rejecting the premise, right? But it's like you have, the, I think the question I want to ask is you have the power to get human civilization up to 1996 to exist and it, it's your fault or you can wipe all of that out and it will, it will not happen and you'll get Mercora civilization for some amount of time and then who knows what. Yeah, I mean, I, right? think so, it's, I think it's not a relevant statement to say you have the power to wipe all of that out because it just, it isn't. If you are in like 65 million BC, if you're in that year, which obviously the designation wouldn't be applicable. If you're in that year, there is no civilization to wipe out. There is a civilization of Mercora that you could wipe out and I think you have an obligation not to. Well, that's interesting. Let's say, I, I feel like some people might not, I, I don't know that I can really articulate a good argument to that, Yeah. but what would your answer be to the question I'm trying to ask? Okay, Which what's is the like, question you're trying to ask? If you could sit here today and erase oh. all of human history just to see what would have happened otherwise. No, I wouldn't do that. Right, right. <laughs> so you're saying, I feel like you're, you're, deferring, you're deferring the decision to the circumstances of the Saria Rip. You're just kind of saying, well, now that I'm here... Right. Yeah, I think you have an obligation in the moment yeah. that you're in. I think right now civilization does exist and I wouldn't wipe it out. Yeah. Yeah, I also would reject the premise, but for different reasons. Yeah, why? Because I think a lot of Tobias's decision relies on knowledge he does not have. Mm. So his, his It's a bad bet. <laughs> yeah. Well his his argument is that this is the comet that kills the dinosaurs. We have never found a Mercora fossil, so they don't exist. We know that if this comet hits this land at this moment, Homo sapiens will evolve. And I think you don't know any of that. It could, maybe it wasn't this comet. It was the next comet that this one actually was meant to go by yeah. and that you're off by a million years, <laughs> which if you're 66 million years ago versus 65 million years ago, like... Doesn't seem like a lot. But hey, we've only been around for like... Less than a million years. Much yeah. less than a million. 50,000 years. So right. my thought is he is making a lot of assumptions based on his knowledge that is incomplete. Because it, it might be that, you know, one of the things that I was unclear about is where exactly they are geographically. Mm. Because yeah. we know where that comet hit. And when did the comet hit? The comet hit uh, basically outside of Mexico. So the part oh. of Mexico that curves in. Yucatan Peninsula. It's the Yucatan oh. Peninsula. So it was created by the huh. comet. So <laughs> I brought secondary sources, which we'll talk about later. <laughs> but um, but I think, he, you know, as he's he's saying that, I was thinking, we haven't found a Mercora fossil yet, right? Yeah. Maybe they don't fossilize. 
right? Yeah. I mean, there are lots of things that you're assuming. Well, they are crabs. Yeah. <laughs> but like... But I take your larger you point. You know, maybe we, maybe we just haven't found them yet. Or maybe... Anyway, so like maybe he does... Maybe they destroy this comet and the comet that comes in a million years destroys the nascent Mercora civilization. Or be quite that, robust, really. Right, that had spread across the, you know, Pangea. Or maybe, you know, it was they wipe, they and the Nesk wipe each other out. I mean, there are so many things that he doesn't know that I reject this premise. Another thing is that they know that broccoli exists in the future. <gasps> the Mercora brought broccoli. So how did broccoli survive the comet? Whoa. Ray, you're right. That's a good question. You're right. That's the plot. Tobias hole. is a monster. <laughs> so yeah, so I have I have yet again a slightly different take on it. I think that the idea that determinism removes you from having to be a moral person is like a really horrific premise. Because mm. if you if you require that people have fundamentally free will in order to like hold them to a moral standard, then depending on how the universe works, you might not ever have to worry mm-hmm. about the consequences of anything that you do. Wait, um, that also means that if you see a terrible future, do you have an obligation to bring like, bring it about? Like, they saw a terrible future in Book 7. Do they have an obligation to make that future happen because they saw it? Wait. Oh my god, what? <laughs> see, I don't think so, because of the, 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 t- the kind of time travel there was you can change, it's like Terminator time travel. Yeah. You can change the bad future. Also, I, I guess it's not implied that because humanity exists it should exist it could just be more i want humanity to exist and it does exist so i'm going to do this thing that makes it happen right so so i feel like there is an there is an absolute sense in which the decision to kill off this entire species is wrong Mm -hmm. right no matter what the consequences are and like no matter what tobias gets out of it at the same time i feel like if you are the person who makes the decision that creates human civilization. Every person alive is probably going to back you up on that. (laughs) So even if you did a really bad thing, you can probably find some way to get forgiveness for what you've done. So I feel, I I don't know that if I were in Tobias's decision that I would really feel that bad about it. I I don't know why it doesn't go to his head more than it does, right? (laughs) Like he's like, oh, wow, it's me. I'm the, I'm the human who makes all of humans possible, right? And he doesn't seem the type. Yeah. Marco would do that. Yeah. It's interesting, like, I feel like in so many stories, you would get heroes who would refuse to do this type of thing. And The Animorphs is the kind of series where you do get them making some really tough decisions, sometimes doing some really morally gray things in order to achieve their ends. This isn't treated quite with the degree of seriousness that I feel like some of those choices are. Mm-hmm. Like, it does seem to just be washed away a little bit with, well, it already happened. We knew it was going to happen. It was mm-hmm. in the past. It mm-hmm. was always going to happen. It's really amazing how time travel seems to erase a lot of that. Right. Well, that's that's also the way it ends. Cassie wants to know, were we always there? I mean, were we meant to be there to do what we did? Was everything supposed to happen a different way? Should this planet be ruled by the Mercora today or the Nesk? Should there still be dinosaurs stomping around? <laughs> did we make it all right or mess it all up? Jake didn't have an answer, so I slipped my arm through his. We looked up at the sky for a while. No comment, Jake said. <laughs> Not today, anyway. No comment, said, no comment. Mm-hmm. She's asking these questions like should, like she's using the word destiny. Like they're implying that they are looking for a reference point to some sort of 
universal standard, some imperative that like they never dig into, like they never get at, like, what are they referencing? What do you mean? So like, where, what, what like, is this should... idea of destiny? Like, is it yeah. right? Yeah. Well, the idea of, like, were we destined to be there? De- like, what is this destiny? Do they believe in a force that's actual destiny? Like, should dinosaurs still be ruling the Earth? Should, according to what? Like, those are really weighted well, questions, and they aren't asking them in any context of, like... Right, but I think the I think that the, the beat at the end kind of steps back from that, because Jake is like, well, there's no comment, and Cassie's kind of like, well, not today, which to me is a very kind of... It's kind of embracing the arbitrariness of the extinction event, right? It's like, well, at some day the Earth is going to be hit by a comet again, and <laughs> humanity is going to be wiped out, and then something else will rise up, right? Oh, so, if you kind of look back, okay, historically the dinosaurs did rule the Earth, and then you, we get that amazing thing where when they return through the Sario Rip, instead of an instantaneous snapback, they get a fast forward of all mm-hmm. time on Earth. Yeah. Which gets to sort of prove the point that Gray was saying that humanity is just the most recent, like tiny little sliver, yeah. right? And so, the the fact that dinosaurs were ruling everything and then they got wiped out in real life history is just kind of an arbitrary thing that happened. Mm-hmm. And so maybe this book is kind of like who who cares if the animorphs <laughs> were there and they made it happen mm-hmm. because it's it's almost it's almost as arbitrary as the actual circumstances Hmm. of history, right? And so maybe this idea of like, oh, well, you know, like the fact that Cassie's looking for an answer and then they're just kind of like, well, humanity's not wiped out yet. Who knows where it's going? Is kind of putting a more agnostic spin on the whole question. Yeah. There's also, we've talked before about what a small world it is. Like we get the Internet Chronicles. (laughs) There are two aliens in space and it's, Tobias's mom and Chapman, like, <laughs> and now we find out that the Animorphs sent the comet that mm-hmm. destroyed the dinosaurs and led to the rise of humanity. Like, it's just, it's really an extra, like, tying it up with a bow it's kind of true. measure. <laughs> it's also funny that in the Mercor and the Nesk, we have a dynamic that we've sort of seen before, which is like good aliens that are like more evolved than people, right? Mm-hmm. They're kind of like Pemelite light. Mm-hmm. And then the Nesk, who are basically like if you combined Yerks and Ants, right? Yeah. It's like then they're absolutely the worst. <laughs> <laughs> so like even though we're starting to see some gray and like, oh, an Andalite trader and all this kind of stuff, when you need it's time for new aliens. You're just like good aliens <laughs> that look real weird, like come up with something even weirder than Andalites. We haven't even talked about what they look like, but it's weird. And then the Nesk, who are just basically if if ants had technology, which, as we know, would be uh, bad. So I was um, I was looking up this book because it turns out it has seven different covers, which is cool. So I was oh I yeah was, I was looking I was looking this up and I found a reference that apparently um, when Catherine Applegate was answering questions back in the nineties, uh, she answered a question about what happened to the Nesk, and she's like, oh, what happened to the Nesk? Been to a picnic lately? Zing! So, I love it. I guess the I implication it. is there were still some of them on Earth, and they turned into, you know, modern ants, which is quite the downfall for them. They were That's very... also kind of a small world thing. What's our least yeah. favorite morph? Turns out they were evil aliens. <laughs> What's our least favorite food? I bet broccoli. <laughs> she must hate broccoli. This is one of my very favorite moments where they're sitting in this alien world these buildings that the Mercora have built in their agricultural, you know, paradise, essentially. 
and they're eating ve- all vegetables, <laughs> which sticks. I think is very funny. And it's uh, it's broccoli. And there's a line that says, "I they're they're outside. The Mercora are busily working in the fields tending their broccoli. Yes, broccoli. It turns out broccoli isn't even from Earth originally. <laughs> the Mercora imported it from their home planet, which explains a lot, I think. Thanks, Marco. <laughs> Thank you, Marco. <laughs> That's one of those lines that, like, Almost definitely has, it to, has be to be a Marco line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And immediately after, he sings the Big Mac song, but talking <laughs> about T-Rex baddies. Speaking of just sort of 90s things. Ooh, another 90s thing. I really enjoyed the exchange where Rachel's like, volcanoes take a long time to get built or whatever. And Jake's like, how do you know anything about volcanoes? Did we do volcanoes in school? Which, first of all, is just a great assumption that, like, the only things they know about are things from school, which is right. almost definitely true in Jake's case. And Rachel says, no, it was some other place, I mumbled. But they all just waited. Waited to hear how I knew about volcanoes. Oh, all right. It was the magic school bus, okay? They went into a volcano. Best Rachel book. So good. <laughs> I watched so many magic school bus episodes when I was younger. How did you amazing. react when you read this bit? Do you remember? Oh, Is this at why the Rachel's time? your favorite? No, Rachel's my favorite because of number seven, book seven. I really liked book seven. Uh, no, I, I don't specifically remember this. I was surprised to encounter it this time. <laughs> I was also wondering if they would have revised the dinosaur descriptions to include feathers. Yeah. Well, the thing that jumped out to me, though, is when the Deinonychus are communicating, one of them makes a neep sound, which oh. Tobias describes in a bird-like way, like, oh. a, like a chirp or something. And so I was like, oh, yeah. So I wonder if this, you know, this is maybe the first seeds of, like, this dinosaurs or birds idea. That... So the scientists read this and were like, oh, they're kind of like birds. No, no, no. I think more <laughs> just like they already, people haven't oh, okay, connected yeah. the dots yet. But when I read it, I was like, oh, yeah, it's like chirping like a bird. <laughs> um, speaking of dinosaur hypotheses. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this book, the Megamorphs book, came out in, I think, 1998. Yeah, sounds right. Yeah, we're in 98 now. Um, and in 1997, a book was published called T-Rex and the Crater of Doom. Gray oh has God. it right here in front of her. Which I have right in front of us because it was once purchased for me because the cover is very entertaining was why this person purchased <laughs> it for me. It's also amazing. the title. Yes. Uh, and it is a you know drawing of a, a T-Rex watching the explosion of the comet. But it turns out that this is not just a book with a funny name and cover. It's an incredibly (laughs) important book in the history of paleontology because it was written by Walter Alvarez, who, with his father, came up with the theory, um, the Alvarez hypothesis, of the crater. They were the ones who came up with the idea that it was an asteroid that wiped out the dinosaurs in the first place. There had been a huge uh, conflict in different parts of the um, sort of paleontology about what wiped out the dinosaurs. Was it a virus? Was it global warming? Was it an asteroid? What was it? And uh, they they said, no, it was definitely an asteroid. And they discovered it. And they also were part of a number of teams across the world that discovered the um, there's an iridium layer that um, is sort of worldwide. You can see it in the in the global geological record Mm -hmm. at 65 or 66 million years ago. um, Mm -hmm. And it's got incredibly high iridium content because it was a result of this Mm -hmm. crater. And then they found the um, 
I'm not going to be able to pronounce it, Chicxulub, perhaps, crater, which is where the Yucatan Peninsula is. Mm. So it's like this incredibly cool mm-hmm. thing, but this book came out in 1997. So this was like a new theory. So this is a written. new theory. So what wow. she's talking about is basically she just took this book and then like wrote bits of it out for kids <laughs> about like, here's what would happen. First, you get the impact and all the carbon dioxide comes out. And then the next layer of extinction and the next layer of extinction. So she actually goes through this theory step by yeah, step of the different... You get that image on the cover, too, with the last T-Rex finally <laughs> succumbing in the wasteland exactly. Earth. Exactly. Um, That's so cool. And that kind of explains why the, like Tobias is the only one who knows. Because I feel like by the time I was their age... I had, I knew this story, yeah. right? Like, yeah. So Tobias says, like, this is one theory. At this point, it seems like it's pretty established that that's what happened, right? Like, not in ninety eight. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Right oh. now, though, in twenty eighteen, yes. like they know that's what happened. They absolutely do. Okay. There's actually there was a a huge thing in the early twenty teens, maybe twenty ten, where this like huge international body of paleontologists got together and were like. This is the thing that happened, oh, and cool. they all kind of voted on it. And- Yay! <laughs> Good job, paleontologists. So, yeah. <laughs> so they voted on the fact that it happened, though they didn't have to vote to make it happen. They did not like vote the animals, so had to <laughs> do it. Tobias had shared it with them. Uh, yeah, that makes me a lot more impressed by this book in retrospect. Yeah, it's a right? very impressive because that's it's sort of like. Oh, I, I guess it's like, oh, why write this? Oh, because dinosaurs are cool, right? Jurassic Park, you know, like, yeah, let's tap into dinosaurs. that. Right. Yeah. And they, they, obviously, the morphing of dinosaurs is incredibly cool. And, yeah. like, the Dinonychus pack tactics are, like, amazing. Mm-hmm. But w- with that, like, secret ulterior motive of let's explain cutting-edge science to kids, mm-hmm. that's really cool. And I also, like they were contracted for, like, 14 books a year at this point. And... She also was like, keep it up on her dinosaur facts. <laughs> That's true, yeah. I'm very impressed by Raising her. Raising a one-year-old. Yeah. I will say, I didn't learn, like, I didn't retain a lot about dinosaurs. I mean, I did retain the comet thing, certainly, from this book. Like, I remember two things. I remembered Deinonychus, which I may or may not be saying correctly. And I remembered that T-Rex were from the Cretaceous period, which is why it was very funny last time. When I was like, so when did they go? And you're like, Jurassic, because of T-Rex. And I was like... This is the only dinosaur thing I know. <laughs> as I was saying that, I thought I have this exactly backwards, and I'm sure as I'm saying it out loud that I have you this exactly backwards. You did correct yourself on the recording <laughs> because it's one of those things that, like, when you're reading dinosaur books, I was like, "Oh, Jurassic Park! They're so wrong. It's actually the Cretaceous, not yeah, the Jurassic. Yeah. They had the cool dinosaurs." And then, for some reason, in my head, I got it inverted, and then was like, "I said that wrong. <laughs> I did the stupid thing." No, you did correct yourself on the recording. But good, yeah, great. Good it, job, is, me. it is the one thing that I know. It's a really good thing to know of all the cool things to know about them. I did really enjoy Tobias's weird, like, author's note or whatever at the end. Oh, yeah. Wait, so <laughs> it's hilarious. Like it's amazing. So he's like, hey, everyone. After we got back, like, I, I looked up a bunch of stuff about dinosaurs, and looks like experts think that some of these dinosaurs, let's see, uh, like Spinosaurus, were extinct by the middle Cretaceous, whereas we were in the late Cretaceous. All I can say is that I was almost eaten by a supposedly extinct Spinosaurus. So who are you going to believe, me or a bunch of scientists with some old fossils? Love no, it. I feel like the correct answer for kids that they're supposed to take away is like, oh, the scientists. But my answer would definitely be like, oh, no, Tobias is obviously right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Tobias yeah. is right. That's how I read it even now. Yes. Yes. That's definitely how I read it. And then I thought, wait. I bet she like rewrote, <laughs> like you, the Spinosaurus is only in there for like one scene. Yes. 
probably could have just could have used a different done a word maybe. search. This is, this is one of the spinosaurus where I was like, oh, so we're going to do, they get attacked by another, the coolest dinosaur. I wonder how many times we're going to go to this well. And thankfully that's the last time, but it was still amazing. The Pteranodons thing was very cool. So there. Oh, yeah. Their, yeah. This was the like, what cool, what's the coolest thing I can imagine that has to do with dinosaurs? And they made it happen. Yeah. yeah. The Pteranodons live, right, they live in these (laughs) caves above the force shield protected city of the Mercora. And so as four of the Animorphs are kind of getting close, they come down and start attacking them. Yeah, they're all birds at the time. Because they're birds at the time. And then as they're trying to figure out what to do, (laughs) Rachel and Tobias, in their Deinonychus forms, hurdle over the edge into the fray and... Tobias manages to like <laughs> land on a pteranodon and use it to kind of hang glide down and then like launches himself into Rachel to catch her. <laughs> and then she falls into a cave of pteranodons and comes out riding two of them. It's the coolest thing. It's it was really amazing. also just such a fun moment. They're being chased by the Nesk. No, the oh, they're being Dinos- chased by the Nesk. Yes. Yeah. pyramid ships. Yeah, there's like a whole wall of ants, and they're like, well, the only way out is over this cliff. And they're like, it could have been five feet, could have been 50 feet. Nope. Yeah, 500 feet. It was 500. And that's that's, uh, like their their jump at the end of book 13, Mm -hmm. also. Oh, yeah. Should we talk about Rachel and Tobias? Please, (laughs) please. That's what I've been waiting for. Of course we should. Yeah, so they get separated from the others, and it's really great. They're like really suffering a lot and cranky and stuff, but are still really supportive and wonderful towards each other. And Rachel refuses to leave Tobias in any dangerous situations, Mm -hmm. which I absolutely love. The only way that he can get her far enough away from him so that he can morph, he can find the Deinonychus and morph into it Mm -hmm. is by telling her that she can save him by throwing him into the trees Uh where he'll be safe and then she can go and turn into a grizzly and attack them without having to worry about him. Uh And she's like, uh good plan, Tobias. Let's do that. (laughs) And so she does. She throws him into a tree and then she runs further down and turns into a grizzly so she can fight. All of this, Rachel, by the way, you make such bad decisions. I love you. You're kick ass. Just morph something small. This whole time, I'm I was yelling at my book. Morph a flea. Morph right? a fly. <laughs> yeah. Morph they a cockroach. They really didn't use their small morphs. And I get Tobias's thing where he's like, "But I want to heal." It's like maybe just heal later. Like heal after. Well, you're and out. then like, she still has to reset his splint anyway. Yeah. Um, but she must really be running out of. We time. we ta- we talked about it a little bit, but the whole bit where she has to set his wing for the first time is so cute it's the it's like the wounded warrior fantasy and like any any story like this where she's tearing off bits of her leotard right so she's got like a bare midriff now and she's wrapping him up and tobias it's like oh my gosh rachel looks so good even in these terrible circumstances it's amazing swoon to the whole thing there was a really wonderful thing where he's like i looked at her with my hawk's eyes i was inches away it was like looking at her through a microscope, practically. She hadn't slept, hadn't brushed her hair, and she was in a bad mood. But she looked great. I looked away. What was the point? Jeez, my own tiredness and hunger must be affecting me. Which is so cute on so many levels. Uh-huh. <laughs> He's so into her, despite being a bird, and yet doesn't feel like it's okay to, like, I don't know, appreciate her on that level. Oggle her. Yeah. And he also, he admires her in a different way later when they're, I think, being chased. 
it's right before he gets thrown up into the tree. Mm-hmm. Um, she's like completely out of it. Actually, this is amazing. So <laughs> Tobias is coming up with this plan to morph mm-hmm. a Dionychus. And meanwhile, Rachel, exhausted, keels over and throws up. And Tobias's thought is, yes, this makes us easier prey for the Dionychus. My plan will <laughs> definitely happen. And I'm like, gross, Tobias. <laughs> he, but, he has so predators then, then he said, uh, Rachel stood up. Then she bent over, cramped in her right side. She winced in pain. I could see her feet were torn. She was exhausted, but not beaten yet. When she met my gaze, I still saw fierce Rachel in her blue eyes. Yes. I also really liked the thing near the beginning where uh, they get set upon by the first dinosaurs that they see, all six of them. Fight, Rachel said. They're just some kind of big squid or something, probably. Let's get them. I liked Rachel even before I became a hawk, Tobias says in his narration. But now I really like her. She could be a bird of prey. She'd be a natural. Hmm. Which is such an interesting insight into, like, why he likes her so Uh much. That, like, she speaks to some bird of prey part of him that he's embraced. Like, this new life he has. What did you guys think of the the slight tension in the Rachel-Tobias relationship that comes up? (laughs) As a Dynanicket. He loses control of the morph briefly, and he manages to slash her stomach while she's in a grizzly morph. And then the next time we see them for an entire chapter, (laughs) she keeps coming back to it. Like, am I hurting your shoulder? Nope. Not like you hurt my stomach when you opened me up like you were gutting a fish. I, I didn't feel like that was the tension, though. No, yeah. no I oh, love I'm this. Sorry. I love this side of Rachel, though, where she's because like <laughs> she's so stoic earlier, and then we see what happens when she loses it. It's not that she starts complaining about what's happening to her, but she has this, she has this one complaint against Tobias, and she will relentlessly use it just because and she's so frustrated. Segue into the hunger thing. Yeah. No, but she suggests she's like, you could just you know turn to a human forever. It wouldn't be the worst thing, right? Mm. And it's he just doesn't address it, but right. it's. I think it's the first time we've seen her bring that up. I mean, I don't know if she really brings it up in 13. Um, she doesn't. She doesn't know, because she yeah. doesn't know she, he has the power until the very end. Mm-hmm. But she's very supportive of, like, oh, he's going to make you human again. And then, so this is the first time we've seen them really reference it. And she doesn't dwell on it. No. As is her way. But it's really interesting that it comes up. And then, when he is uh, Dionychus and... Uh, he gets fully, like Cassie, he totally succumbs to the dinosaur. And so it's actually just kind of dumb luck that him attacking Rachel is good tactically in this situation. Um, Which is interesting as a side note, because we thought maybe he wouldn't have trouble with predators. Turns out he does. Right. I think it's just dinosaurs have super instincts. That's what I'm, <laughs> that's what I'm learning from this book. I like it. I'll go with it. Um, but so then she's trying to talk him out of it, which, you know, the animorphs often have to do. And she's like, Tobias, you're a human, you're a boy. And then she's like, no. No, yeah. Tobias, you're a bird. Remember, you're a bird. And that's remember when... Remember flying. Remember flying. Yeah. And that's when he reconnects with himself. And yeah. so even though there was that bit of tension earlier, Rachel still knows that this is what she has to do mm-hmm. to bring him back. Yeah, I like how yeah you get kind of both sides of the tension from her. Mm-hmm. She understands even if maybe there's a part of her that's pushing against it. Mm-hmm. I This is not... Um, uh, really about that particular moment, but one thing that I think I really appreciate about the two of them is that they are, that they understand the, each other's strengths in a really important and um, very basic way so that 
Tobias trusts Rachel to go morph the grizzly and like fight back. He just knows she's going to do it without question. Mm-hmm. And Rachel knows that Tobias has a plan and that she's mm. just going to go along with it. So for example, at the end when they're arguing, everyone's arguing about whether they should morph and Tobias, what did you do? And how do you know that the comet's going to land? And they have this whole thing. Jake is trying to get him to explain and Tobias is like, just start morphing, just do it. And Rachel started morphing her eagle morph. No hesitation. Uh-huh. She just does it right uh-huh. away. And then then Jake hesitates and, and he starts it too. But Rachel's like, okay, you told me to do it. I trust you. Like, I'm just going to do it. And I think there's a little bit of that. I love that. Because yeah. I was going to say there isn't a lot of Rachel Tobias once they rejoin the group mm. because they they play their roles in the group more than they they mm-hmm. sort of play off of each other. Right? Like Cassie and Jake have occasionally warped the group dynamic around their relationship. But mm-hmm. Rachel and Tobias oh, yeah, they don't, do, don't that. do that at no. all. Yeah. So it's, it, I really like that detail. I missed that. There was some interesting Cassie and Cassie and Jake stuff in this. Well, mm-hmm. should we start with Cassie and Rachel? There's oh. a lot of Cassie and Rachel stuff, oh, which I yeah. love. Mm-hmm. Sure, go on. Well, so they get separated and... Well, they think that Rachel and Tobias are dead. They think that Rachel and Tobias are dead. And there's this awful moment where Jake orders... Axe and Marco to grab Cassie and Dolphin Morph and pull her away from the mm-hmm. animorph eating dinosaur because um, she's just she can't accept that they're gone and mostly she can't accept that Rachel's gone like she's yeah everyone, she's like but, shouting for but, Rachel yeah um, and so she of course realizes it was the right thing to do to like drag her away like that but it's just like it's so sad seeing her suffer like that and then throughout her next few chapters she's thinking like. I can't imagine not seeing her every day. She's always been my best friend. It's like, I I sort of, I didn't remember that I was crying or like, I just realized I was still crying. I've been crying since, you know, uh, we morphed human again, even to the point, she's so upset to the point that Marco stops teasing her. Yeah. (laughs) Doesn't tease her and Jake about like cuddling. Right. Yeah. You really get a sense of how important Rachel is to Cassie. And we got a little bit of the reverse in 17 when, Rachel has this thing where she's like, you know, if they hurt Cassie, I didn't know what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. Like, And then, like, after, even after Cassie recovers a bit, when she becomes, like, a sur- survivalist, yeah. um, Cretaceous survivalist, she <laughs> invents fire, yes. right? She's the first human to start a fire, and she's like, man has invented fire. No, wait, woman has invented fire. Oh, man, Rachel's not here. Rachel she would love, love that. that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, it's so great. And she, she keeps referring how, like, she uses Rachel as in place of her inner courage, mm-hmm. which I find really yeah. sweet. And then it culminates in this amazing moment where after the ridiculous, like, <laughs> Pratt fall off the cliff where they hit all of the t- pteranodons and land on the force field, the other Animorphs are in bird morph. Uh, Rachel and Tobias are in their Dynanicus morph. And um, Cassie's like, oh, my God, Rachel, is that you? And Rachel's like, who else would it be? <laughs> And then Cassie waddles over as an osprey and tries to hug the dinosaur. And it's just like the cutest thing I could possibly imagine. I really want there to be fan art of this. Oh, yes. I hope there is. I really thought I loved how Cassie took on a lot of Rachel's role when she thought Rachel was dead. And then after Rachel comes back, she says, there are some things about Rachel I still don't understand and things about me that must mystify her, I guess. Rachel loves the big predator morphs. I don't. I never want to hurt anyone or anything, not even when I have to, not even when there's no choice. And so again, she's letting Rachel stand in for that for her at the beginning where she's like, let's do it. You know, we're going to fight this. And then she can kind of step back into herself and be like, I don't want to do this. This is not me. 
Well, there's an interesting note about, like, she's like, I prefer the way the Mercora do it, where they have force fields. And Tobias is like, well, they don't seem to mind, you know, us fighting for them. And that feels a little bit relevant to, like, Rachel and Cassie, too. Mm-hmm. Like, there, I think there are moments in which Cassie doesn't object to the actions. She just doesn't want to be the one to do them. Well, like her and Jake with the yeah. serial killer guy. Yep. Right, 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 right. Yeah. 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 You're, the tiger would do it better. Right? Yeah, your says. morph would do it better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there is this sort of, in addition to her, like, objecting, sometimes it's just like, I don't want to do this. This mm-hmm. is really difficult for me. There is an interesting, um, an interesting moment where they, so she's been going all Cretaceous survivalist, and it's really cool. And she says, what are we going to do about it getting dark? Jake looks surprised. I don't know. You've been so cool about all this back to nature stuff. I guess I was waiting for you to tell us. Was he resentful that I had been taking a more active role? No, surely not. Just like what a statement! Like, uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't, uh, I, I don't know that he was resentful. Like, that's not the read I got from him. But I don't know. To me, that's totally Jake, <laughs> and like, he's not consciously thinking it. But I think she's the way mm. I read this is that she's, she's really perceptive. She's really perceptive and intuitive, and so yeah. sometimes Jake gets bothered by this kind of thing. So even if not <laughs> yeah. right now, she knows not. She she deliberately doesn't want to push that button. Which is pretty disturbing, honestly. Yeah, it is disturbing. Yeah. I continue yeah. to say that Rachel and Tobias are a much better couple. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. On this reread, I'm picking up on a lot more stuff in like the Jake and Cassie thing where I'm like, why don't they ever address this? <laughs> so maybe they will in a future book. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, Tobias gutted her like a fish, like a like a loaf of bread, and the all funny these other thing about things. about that is that she's like, she's hungry and tired <laughs> and she's whinging about this, but she's also clearly not actually that mad oh, at no. him. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's sort of just filling the time as she she's walks. She's just whinging as she walks. <laughs> she just wants to describe food. Yeah. yeah. The, the food descriptions are so amazing. <laughs> and also, um, Tobias is trying to, like, solve the problem and he's like, oh, yeah, so wait, don't dates grow on trees? And Rachel <laughs> says, not according to my mom. She's thinking about dating again. You know, it's been a while since the divorce and, oh, you mean like the dates you eat? Yeah, I guess they grow on trees. <laughs> like corn. Corn trees. And Tobias is like, Rachel, what's corn wrong trees. with you? And she's like, okay, I'm like exhausted and starving and injured and you're mad because I'm not a farm girl like Cassie. <laughs> it's like, Rachel... Uh, I love it I, so much. I will say that date exchange, for some reason, is one of the things I remember extremely vividly from this book. It's so funny. <laughs> and it's also, it's not at all a thing that people would actually say. I can't imagine a real person being like, having this reaction, and then correcting it with, oh, you mean like the dates you eat? <laughs> Ridiculous. She is I love pretty it. out I of it. it. There's, yeah. Oh, Maybe so she's much. just thinking about how they're on a date right now. <gasps> That would explain why she has the other meaning in her mind. Yes. She's like, you oh know, this God. sucks, but at least I'm on this date with Tobias. Oh, my this God. This is such a Rachel date, too. <laughs> like, yes. Bursting out of the belly of a gigantic sea beast. And then... Fighting your way across the Mexican yes. peninsula, I This think. is exactly the kind of date that she would want to go on. Yep. Perfect. He knows how to pick it. It's the thing. <laughs> and as he is responsible for pretty much everything, it seems like, he probably also caused the Sario Rip. <laughs> Just so they could have a date. Aw. It's, it's a lot of effort to go to. That's what romance is really about. Mm. One Cassie thing that stood out to me is her her little arc in um, Megamorphs 1 was mm. I'm a coward. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's actually remarkable to see how brave she is here, right? Even mm. though she's sort of like channeling Rachel to some extent. She really has moved past that um, kind of reluctance that we saw in Book 4 and Megamorphs 1. 
Mm-hmm. Like she's she's definitely stepped up in terms of her ability to be an active group member. And so yeah. it's it's a nice a nice uh, it's nice progress to track. That's true, and she was very like firm about her convictions in this. So we should have mentioned this before during our philosophical conversation, but one way that Cassie stands up for herself is after she's while she's decompressing from being a raging Tyrannosaurus and mm-hmm. having uh, attacked or killed a Triceratops. Um, Marco says, because they're in the past, there is no human yeah. morality. And then, really interesting and then Cassie, <laughs> Cassie is like, well, there are humans here. We are human civilization. We have that stuff inside us, mm-hmm. which is amazing. And mm-hmm. so that really spoke to me on this read through. And like you were saying, it's just a good example of Cassie being like, no, I've been thinking about this since book nine. And I have <laughs> yeah. some, it feels I have like some thoughts. Her thoughts have really like evolved because she had that sort of crisis of like, well, what does it mean to be a human? Are we the same as other animals? And now she's like, no, we're not the same as other animals. Like mm-hmm. she's really. And it's interesting that. that it it's in this moment where they're taking a step back from the war, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They're not at war right now. They're there definitely no in this book. survival situation. And so Marco's trying to say, hey, look, you know, when it's kill or be killed, morality and guilt is all crap, right? And and it allows Cassie to really realize that mm-hmm. taking a step back from the war could be licensed to kind of say, well, anything goes, nothing matters. Mm-hmm. But she really is um, standing by her principles. Mm-hmm. And I like the thing where... Um... I guess it's it's Jake's point of view, and he says he was expecting Marco to come back to this whole big statement about, like, what, you know, we have morality inside of us. And instead, Marco doesn't say anything, and then he says, as, like, a thought-speak-whisper just to Jake, you know, Jake, I see why you like that girl. Mm. Which is just a really nice, like, he recognizes the value in what she's saying. It's not clear if he totally agrees with it or is willing to take it on as his own, but he's like, If I'm comedy, she's poetry. Yeah. Aww. Secret Marco-Cassie relationship. Well, Uh there's another great Marco-Cassie relationship moment um, about Jake, too, where when they're figuring out what to do, this is before before they've met up with Rachel and Tobias, so they still think that the two of them are are dead. And um, they're trying to figure out whether they should go in, uh, whether they should go spy on the Mercora, I think is what's happening. And Cassie's trying to say, you know, why don't, why don't I do it? And you guys stay stay back. The three mm-hmm, of you stay mm-hmm. back. And I'm just going to go take a look. And that way only one of us is at, at risk. And she says that we've already lost Rachel and Tobias. I lost my friend. I don't want to lose dot, 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 you know, <laughs> anyone else. And here's Marco saying he, he looked at like he was on the verge of making a wisecrack, but he stopped. I guess he couldn't totally restrain himself. So he said, <laughs> why don't I go with Cassie? Somehow I don't think it's me she's worried about losing. And he gave Jake a sidelong smirk. Which <laughs> is like, it's, he understands exactly where she's oh, coming yeah. from. He totally gets it. He still kind of teases her, but he's he gets right it on board. He feels the same way about Jake, let's be real. <gasps> Good point. <laughs> so uh, looking through my notes, there's uh, a little bit more of the Cassie Rachel thing from Rachel's side, which is the great moment where... She right after the time travel occurs, they're all separated as dolphins, mm. and Rachel's calling out after the other animorphs, and she calls out Cassie, Tobias, <laughs> Jake, Marco, Axe, and Marco says, "I was wondering when you were going to get to me." <laughs> but she puts Cassie before Tobias, yeah. which is really cute. Yeah. Um, I also like that. So I have a theory about this, which I, I probably have to say for another day. But Cassie 
notices the time travel first again. Oh. She in book eleven, mm. she picked up on the the yeah. uh, the sun was in a different place, and again she's like, yeah, this isn't right. There's a bunch of things like the water's clearer, like. She she really picks up on these details really She's surprisingly the fast. World. And the other actually now that I'm saying this, it took them a long time to realize there were dinosaurs. Like they stretch out that reveal for like the first <laughs> third of the book. And maybe they should have figured out that they time traveled again sooner. But, uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> well, Tobias figures it out really quickly. Yeah. Right. Because he knows what yeah, it, ate them. It's more the other the other animorphs when they're like, oh, yeah. I'm in this giant footprint. And like, <laughs> where'd, why is there a volcano? And okay, where'd all civilization go? It's kind of a big leap to be like, oh, we must be 65 million years in the past. Like, that's... You can see why they didn't quite. It's a big leap, but also crazier things have happened to you guys. That's so maybe true. have an opener mind. That's a good point. One thing that they did not talk about in terms of the uh, sort of changes that they see. So there's a volcano. There's no boardwalk. The water's much clearer. But a thing that they don't talk about is there is, would be a much higher oxygen content oh. in the air. It's about 150% of um, our modern wow. levels of oxygen. And it's one of the ways, one of the reasons that dinosaurs could get so big was they were getting a oh, heck of a lot more oxygen wow. than we are. How would that affect them? Well, they just, uh, they were able to... No, how like, would it affect oh, the animals? the animals. So would they be like super high? They'd be real high. Yeah. yeah like wow. when you, you know, like when you go into an oxygen tank, right? Like you're I think. I've, I've never, never done, done it. But, like, I think it's, like, your brain works on overdrive. <laughs> um, so is that why they're so able to run away from, like, the T-Rex and stuff? Is that why Rachel is so stoic? Is she would have been able to run a lot She's on further, oxygen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll use that to, like, hand wave around a lot of the, the physical yeah. plot holes. Right. She can run most of the way across Mexico because, you know, she's getting a lot more oxygen than she yeah. does it. Most of the way across Mexico. I, I don't know that, that that's no, true, yeah. but, like, somehow they go from, in the course of not that much time in the book, yeah. they go from Southern California to the Yucatan Peninsula, and it takes them going back, like, many hours of flying. Oh. Right? Because they don't, huh. don't they have to like, they fly, then they demorph, then they morph again, then they fly. Wait, I why do they, they end were... up in California? I didn't think they were flying the back. I thought they were just flying away. Yeah, because the, the, the asteroid hits dead center, so they can't have gone to, back to California. Well, the question is, how did they end up where the asteroid hits in the first place if they started in California? Which I'm pretty sure they did, actually, because this was the book where I was like, oh, they're on the West Coast because they see the Atlantic Ocean grow where it wasn't before. Mm. And they start out in the ocean. So I was like, oh, I guess they're on the Pacific Ocean. So if they start on the Pacific oh. Ocean, how do they get to the Yucatan Peninsula? This is my oh. question. I guess, I mean, maybe Abigail was like, there's an asteroid that hits and wasn't too, like... Maybe she wasn't convinced that, like, they knew exactly the spot, or she was like, this is a theory, I'll just borrow it without using it. Right, so either either it didn't, the asteroid hit California, right, in this Animorphs world, (laughs) or because the Earth has changed so much, (laughs) it is actually the same place in a Sario Rip sense. Maybe, yeah, it might just be hard to track. All right, that's a good point. I mean, the continents did not exist in the way that they do now. All right, fine. (laughs) So there's a lot of really delightful act stuff. I mean, you're right that, like, he didn't have an integral role in this all that much. But, uh... He gets some great lines. There were some great lines. Like, um, nice work, Axe, Prince Jake said. He slapped his hand on my shoulder. It is a thing humans do to indicate friendship or congratulations. Sometimes they do it to kill small insects called mosquitoes. How did you feel about learning that 
uh, X can tell time because of his e-space equation, Gray. Let me quote. X is trying to explain how his time-tracking sense works. In an equation where T is time, Z is zero space, W inversely cubed represents the nexus of, and then someone, probably Marco, cuts him off. He does seem to track um, the rotation of the planet, though. Right. He says the planet is no longer rotating at the same speed as before. I think the likely explanation is that we have traveled a very, very long way in time. So it does seem like he... And there's that bit where Jake defers to Axe to explain to the Mercora what's going on. (laughs) And Axe says, we're from the future. Mark is like, oh, thank goodness you were here to explain that. (laughs) Thank goodness we have a brilliant brilliant alien Uh... space boy here who can explain things. There's a great Axe line where they're figuring out um, what has happened. And Cassie is like, oh, no, we're in the we're in the past. And uh, she says, no, there's no place on Earth where Tyrannosaurus just run around the woods. Yeah, I think we have heard about it in school, Marco said. And Axe thinks, I believe his tone of voice indicated something the humans call dry humor. I have not heard any wet humor, <laughs> so it is difficult for me to tell the difference. <laughs> Hilarious. All of his thoughts about the explosives. A fusion explosive? That's what it was? I assumed it was a small proton shift weapon, at least. Fusion is only used in children's toys. You know, to make the little dolls speak and so on. <laughs> and what does Axe say next? Oh, um, my human friend stared at me. So the Andalite Toys R Us must be a wild place, huh? Marco said. So Andalites have little talking dolls, which is amazing. Yeah, that speak and out loud, I They guess? speak out loud because we learn later when the Mercora give Axe a ThoughtSpeak communicator device. He's like, oh, this is so cool. Andalites haven't made this yet. <gasps> right? So, of course, Andalite oh. dolls couldn't use ThoughtSpeak. They don't have a ThoughtSpeak communicator yet? No. That's that's Wait, what he, that's how he reacts to it, right? But how, He's like, you're right. But how do they... Oh, no, no, no. He was saying they have ThoughtSpeak communicators. It was the ThoughtSpeak alarm. It okay. was the Nesk's ThoughtSpeak alarm. He's like, yeah, Andalites are working oh, on Oh, I think it was the sensor. You're right. Yes. The Nesk had a ThoughtSpeak sensor. Yeah, because the they, they obviously can communicate long distances with ThoughtSpeak because he, like, talks to right, 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 Commander right. Lear. No, that makes bit. more sense. Yeah. That makes more sense. But he does he does really nerd out over the Mercora technology. When the Mercora <laughs> first reveal themselves, like, they sort of appear out of this force field. And Axe says, a localized force field-derived sensor shield? Excellent! <laughs> He's very excited about these things. I liked his perspective on the Animorphs' decision-making. In the end, we decided to go for it. That is a human <laughs> expression. As I understand it, the expression means that without having any clear idea of why we should do something, we would do it anyway. Amazing. Tracks, yeah. I really loved his view on humans, humankind in general. Mm. Um, so he's he's very amazed by Cassie, who she sized up the situation and realized that um, she, they're no longer the masters, so they, they need to adapt. And he says, I began to feel a little better about our chances. Humans may be technologically primitive, not to mention <laughs> physically weak, what with tottering around on two spindly legs. But if you're in a situation that requires instant adaptability to change, you should always have a couple of humans along with you. Yeah. I, did, I did really like, I didn't write it down, but the thing where one of them is like, yeah, like primitive humans would never have survived alongside dinosaurs. And Axe is like, ah, but you're not just primitive humans. You're primitive humans with anti-morphing technology. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that too. Oh my God, it's so good. <laughs> and I also loved the way he called, he called them sort of on human war practices. Mm. Uh, he's asking, like, what is this sub for? Marco says, it's deterrence. You know, in case the enemy uses nukes on us, we have these safe on our subs. What enemy? Well, okay, we don't exactly have one right now, Jake says. Uh, but we used to, and we may get one again. 
We're shopping all the sales, Marco said brightly. Enemies are us. Enemy Mart. JC Enemy. Don't worry, we'll find one. JC Enemy is so good. I <laughs> it love was it. really peak, peak Marco making jokes. Also, that whole exchange... It was clearly still the 90s. <laughs> I remember that? Uh, yes. It was so nice. So 90s. And very, like, you know, Applegate had some ideas mm-hmm. about the military. Speaking of Marco making jokes, I just, I really loved the line where they're hanging out at the Mercora city. He says, you know, he's eating the carrots. I munched it, thought about making a Bugs Bunny joke, decided the joke I had in mind wasn't all that funny. And I was like, I identify so strongly with you, Marco. I would just like you guys to know that the puns you hear (laughs) are only a small percentage of the ones that enter into my mind as possible things that one might say. And then many of them just are not funny enough to say. That does not mean that the ones that I say are funny enough to say. (laughs) But you got to have a filter somewhere. Uh, Marco is also very self-aware about these things. Uh, He says, I tend to make jokes, especially about things that bother me. Yeah. Yes, you do. Yes, he does. He also calls Axe, by the way, disturbingly attractive. (laughs) Uh As opposed to his Andalite body, which is just disturbingly disturbing. Right. Right. Um, That's good. Maybe he'll turn his attention away from Jake, because that's obviously doomed. So this this is definitely more... I feel like this is more of a romp on the lighter side of things, despite yeah. the genocide at the end. Um, Weirdly, yes. Yes. But there was one thing that I noticed in terms of the like them being put in these horrific situations, that both Rachel and Marco, when they are being digested and chased by a Tyrannosaurus, mm. respectively, have this thing where like they hear, they dissociate and hear themselves giving them Ooh. advice where Rachel's like, you have to get to the lungs, like break through to the lungs. Not your lungs, idiot. Right. And Marco, um, he like falls over and he's telling himself to get it or morph you idiot. He, he hears his own mm-hmm. voice saying morph mm-hmm. to get out of this. And so I thought that that was a really interesting, it was just kind of interesting showing that they have this like completely helpless flailing, like just an average person side. And it's almost like they've developed this, this capacity to think through the situation tactically and like get themselves out of it. Mm-hmm. I, just, I just thought it was interesting that both characters yeah. reacted that way. This is something that has gone gotten stronger over like dozens of books. Right. Well, doesn't it happen? At first, when it first happened, I was like, oh no, is the Elmas talking to them? But <laughs> it's clearly just themselves. So this is the first book, I think, that didn't have Yerks in it. Is that true? Huh. Yeah. Because I remember we were talking about, Gray, when you were predicting book 16, you were like, the Yerks aren't really involved. And we were like, has that ever happened? And we were like, no, I don't think it has. I think this is the first time. I was just off by a couple books. I mean, it happens sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, you knew though. You knew it was going to happen, and they sort of—it's not the savannah, but <laughs> it's not. It's—he does say it's like the savannah, yeah, but instead yeah. of gazelles, it's you know triceratops. Yeah, but... so you were pretty close. Exactly. Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do want to say one more thing about the Mercora. Please um, do. That... Do you want to describe the Mercora? Because our <laughs> listeners who haven't read this have no idea what to imagine, I... and after you describe them, they still won't know. <laughs> I would love to. Um, Okay, so uh, this is Axe describing them very usefully because Axe has a lot of experience, as we know. (laughs) Very galactic. Yes, he is. He's very galactic. Uh, So he says, uh, this race, these Mercora, they were just strange. For one thing, they were not at all symmetrical. They moved on seven legs, four on one side, three on the other. 
To make matters worse, the four legs were larger than the three, so they scuttled sideways in the direction of the small legs. Half the height of a tall human, but seven or eight feet wide. On the side with the four big legs, there was a sort of three-way pincher claw. It looked very powerful. On the other side, the weak side, there were two arms similar to my own, but stronger than human arms. The arms ended in long, tapered, delicate fingers. And, and here's the creepy part, there were lots of eyes. They kept opening and shutting one or two or three at a time. They were each hidden beneath tiny trap doors and the Mercora's exoskeleton or shell. Eyes were forever appearing and disappearing. It was very, very distracting. <laughs> Finally, Marco muttered, someone who could win a staring contest with an axe. Thank you. Um, I feel like they really went farther to create aliens that are, like, as different from humans as possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Probably in part because wanted to make it clear, like, these things did not evolve into any Earth thing. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's a good point. I was thinking, so when I was reading the, rereading this, I was like, oh, yeah, the Nesk. I remember the Nesk. Like, evil ants. Like, the ants <laughs> are bad. And they, you know, something like this. And I was like, Mercora. Oh, yeah, I guess there was this other thing. Why can't I remember the Mercora? <laughs> and I'm pretty sure it's because they're so hard to visualize. <laughs> also, I'm sure that whatever, like, my nine-year-old drawing of this would have been would actually be pretty accurate. Because I could draw, like, a crab pincher and then two arms coming out of it <laughs> and a whole bunch of eyes on it. Yeah. Well, you can add this to your list of aliens that you can draw. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good point. A thing that happens with the Mercora which is um, horrifying, mm -hmm. is oh, that yeah. they come to rescue the Animorphs as they are trying to escape from the Nesk. And the Nesk are shooting at them, and we're pretty sure the an Animorphs are going to die. Um, but the Mercora instead come down and save them. And one of the Mercora sh ships um, explodes. The it, it fires at the Nesk ship at the same time, and both ships explode. But the Footnote about this battle. Mm -hmm. Jake and T-Rex Morph gets torn in half again. It's been like three books oh. since he got torn in half. He gets torn oh. in half again. It, does, it doesn't come up. <laughs> like We've permanently escalated now. Please, please, please continue. Oh my god, you didn't even notice it. That's how... Yeah, it's just yeah. like Jake had been torn in half and was demorphing. It's like how... Oh. He fell forward half a dinosaur. Jeez, these books, anyway, man. Anyway, please continue. All right, so he's about to get uh, fired upon when the Mercora kind of put a little force field around him. And uh, so the two ships explode, but the remaining Mercora ship kind of came and, um, and hovered over them and then pulled them into the ship to, to save them, which is lovely of them. How, how very nice. But as they're on the ship... They notice that the aliens are very grim and very depressed. And then uh, they notice that each of them was minus one of their smaller legs. They were just oozing stumps. And Rachel asks, what happened to your legs? Which, maybe <laughs> um, Even as the words were out of my mouth, I saw the limbs in the corner. They were laid out on a brightly colored cloth, which was draped over a shelf. There was something almost ceremonial about it, almost religious. Can you explain the meaning of this? Axe asked politely. We must make the sacrifice of pain. The legs will regenerate, but those we honor will not, the Mercora pirate said. This is a symbol. It speaks to our spirit's pain by echoing it in physical pain. And I'm so... Sorry. Did you say the Mercora pirate? Because that sounds awesome. It's meant to be Mercora pilot, but either one I said I'm keeping it in. So anyway, so they're trying to figure out what this is, and the pilot says... Uh, and Jay asks, it was just for the ones that were killed in the other ship. And the pilot says, for those who were in both ships, to be killed is a sadness, to kill is a sin. 
And so Cassie has this discussion with them, and she says, you know, our arms and legs don't regenerate, so we can't, we can't do the same thing. The pilot responded, then you must bear the pain inside. Yes, Cassie said, I will. Yeah. And it was a wonderful Cassie moment and a really interesting insight into the Mercora. And then, then they killed all the Mercora. Yeah, so, yeah, they did. Turns out to be killed is a sadness and to kill is a sin. Do you think the Mercora would have let themselves be wiped out? It's a pretty weird thing to, like, well, we come from a future in which you were all killed, therefore we're going to let you all be killed. Like, I don't know. It's a little different than saying, like, if we all die, this planet full of people will live. Just looking through my notes, there are a couple of Tobias things I wanted to highlight. Mm-hmm. One is he has the amazing phrase, as a dinosaur, I was stomping at a rate of several stomps per second <laughs> to get rid of the nesk. So um, and then he also... He talks about why he's a huge dinosaur nerd, and it's one of the few times Tobias actually reflects on his sad backstory. So he says, I was staying with my uncle at that point. He liked to drink. He'd sit in his lazy boy and start yelling at the TV and cursing and then yelling at me if I made any noise. I used to go into my room and sit there playing dinosaur. Yeah, wow. He tells that to Rachel also, which is like, he doesn't talk about this stuff a lot. It's probably significant that he was willing to say it out loud to her and i think he's he we've often seen from him like i don't want people to pity me yeah right and it's usually in the context of because i'm a bird but this is still him showing some vulnerability yeah and not not sweating it yeah a different thing um there was a cassie thing where she talks about how much she loves morphing dolphins she's like i don't like morphing insects and stuff but i'm convinced that dolphins have souls and i was like wait wasn't that why you didn't want to morph them i'm so confused (laughs) But maybe she got over her qualms about that. She's decided they don't recreate the animal Right. She's not copying a soul. Yeah. I also, I love the, um, what she says about that is, I don't know if it's mystical or something real, but either way, <laughs> I like it. I liked the Rachel line. Um, Tobias has been identifying dinosaurs once the group is reunited. She says, now you know what I've been putting up with since yesterday. This asaurus and that asaurus. Tobias rattles them off like they were, I don't know, like any normal person would rattle off the names of major clothing designers. <laughs> Made me laugh so hard. Also, also when she invents the planet Zeptron. And so, so I think maybe Tobias teases her about it. And she's just like, whatever, I can make up stupid planets if I want to. It was the first thing that came to mind, she says. We did hear Axe name dropped a new alien. He like lists all the aliens we know. And he's like, and the Corolla. And many others. <laughs> I was like, kind of a Nice out, world building. <laughs> the Corolla exists. This is better than when in book five we went to space and Marco was like, oh, I saw all these new aliens that I'd never <laughs> seen before. And I won't describe them. But they're also <laughs> Orkbajir and Texans. And those are the ones that matter. Or like book six when we learn about the Stram and the Mac and then we learn nothing about them. Right. Or the Lyran. The the we Liren, did learn about that's the That's the one exception, yeah. Exactly. So a one morphing lore question. So we mm-hmm. haven't talked at all about them rescuing us up because it's just an excuse for them to get sent into the pass. So they are investigating this nuclear submarine and the people are really worried about radiation. So mm. my question is, yeah. based on the brain and body thing that we've talked about before, does radiation, does morphing protect you from radiation? Like if all of your cells get replaced, maybe you're okay, but then are the irradiated cells in Z-space? So could you like... Whoa. Then, like, morph by morphing something bigger, could you then, like, borrow an irradiated cell? Or, like, is it oh, your no. brain? What if your brain gets irradiated if that's not replaced? Like, I have a lot of, I have a lot of concerns about how that this would work. That is concerning. Because we know that amnesia 
affects you, <laughs> right? But we know that it's poison true. doesn't. So where is like yeah. radiation poisoning? I feel like radiation would be more like poison, but it is concerning that now there are irradiated cells in Z-Space. Well, it's also concerning, just throwing this out here, <laughs> that a nuclear missile has just been exploded <laughs> off the coast of California. <laughs> so this is, again, people should just never go to the beach in this universe. They really shouldn't. You <laughs> oh never know God. what's going to wash up on shore. I mean, it's it's quite far underwater, but, yeah. you know, you're probably still, again, you're going to see some, like, after effects of that. There's going to be shock waves and so on. And, you know, now there's some radiated stuff down there. You should probably clean that up. I don't know. <laughs> I also, I love their solution to the problem where they're like, okay, we found the sub. Now, how do we tell them where it is? And Rachel's <laughs> like, we'll kidnap a diver. And they're like, Rachel, come on. Oh, okay. That's probably the best. <laughs> That's a great idea. <laughs> yeah, we're dolphins. That's fine. Marco's like, we're doing Rachel's idea. Jake's <laughs> like, she happens to be right this time. <laughs> Jake um, says something about how Rachel is very direct. It's like, yes. Yes, she is. Also, I really appreciate how the Dynanicus are described, the colors on them, because like, it's the, it's just the best description of a green and brown dinosaur that I've ever read. It's pebbly skin, the color of asparagus soup and coffee ice cream. <laughs> also, Rachel is hungry. I think <laughs> it paints a very vivid picture. I have one other thing. I just have to call this out because it's another WTF animorphs. Uh-huh. Jake gets swallowed by a T Rex. And so he acquires its DNA by grabbing its tongue. (laughs) And then he crawls down its throat so that he doesn't get shredded by its teeth while he morphs into a T-Rex inside a T-Rex's throat. It's the second, like, morphing out of the throat of a thing thing that we've ever had. And it's so horrible. Oh, my God. Everything about it is the worst. Well, then there's a badly injured T-Rex and they can all acquire it. It's very convenient. There is an entire We Sing Dinosaurs album. (gasps) Yeah. Is there, is it like a, just like We Sing Dinosaurs? Is that the name of the, yes. the We Sing special? So will you play the Deinonychus song? It's very catchy. So it's a whole Deinonychus song. It's yes. not just all the dinosaurs. I was imagining like an oh, it's Animaniac a style song, song where they just, they list all of the dinosaur names. Deinonychus lived in the early Cretaceous period. Early? After Allosaurus and before Tyrannosaurus Rex. This is clearly false. Essence, you've got it now. I want to keep listening. Oh, you can keep listening. It's two minutes long, we're listening to it all. Powerful jaw, 
Deinarchus with his terrible Man, the guys singing that are real creepy. <laughs> I Anonicus. love that so much. Also, I know everybody knows this, but just in case any of our listeners don't, you all know that in Jurassic Park, the dinosaurs they call velociraptors are actually Deinonychus. <gasps> velociraptors were the size of turkeys. You could punt them. Wow. Are we, does that mean we're including that part with the song in the podcast? That is clearly what we're doing. Yeah, it's a Deinonychus <laughs> PSA. Okay. movie needs to be called Early to Late Cretaceous Park. <laughs> yes. That's um, why, that's the amazing thing about Jurassic Park, is that you can just <laughs> throw them all together and see what happens. It's yeah. bad. So, should we talk about book 19, The Departure? The Departure. It is a Cassie book. Yeah. Um, and it is Cassie in her leotard morphing into a butterfly. Very pretty butterfly. Uh, this one does not creep me out at all. This is amazing. Oh, wow. Really? Wait, yeah. even, let me see the intermediate ones. They're not even, creepy at all? No, because her, oh. the wings just kind of grow down from her arms. Oh, yeah, that's really nice. It's like a really good ballet costume Look or something. At, what about her like back thorax in picture four? Okay, don't make her creeped out if she's not. No, even that doesn't bother me. <laughs> Great. Yeah. The antennae growing from her head doesn't bother me. This yeah. one's fine. Oh, amazing. Yeah. This the is the one first good one. cover. Yeah, the first one where I'm like, this is fine. <laughs> uh, so the departure, the little subtext is there's always room for a little change. Deeply unhelpful. <laughs> they're always so helpful. Yeah. Are they ever helpful? No, they're never helpful. They never happen. <laughs> <laughs> they're always just some reference to changing or to yurks. Right. Yeah, it wasn't one just like, yurks, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Fear has a yurks new website. <laughs> Fear has a new website. <laughs> Dot yerks. <laughs> okay, so the thing I'm wondering about this is whether the change is if they're also going to play with the um, butterflies morphing from caterpillars, mm. right? Like if there's going to be something about them, <laughs> the process of changing from a caterpillar into a butterfly. I feel like that would be mm-hmm. something Applegate would want to talk about and like describe in detail because much like the disgustingness of the morphs. <laughs> The caterpillar turning into a butterfly is pretty gross. Like, it all just dissolves into goo, and then the butterfly reforms. But is it a metaphor, like, in Book 7, or is it, like, a problem-solving tool? I think it's going to be a metaphor. It seems, like, more likely that it's (laughs) going to be a metaphor. Um, And I think, obviously, we're going to be back uh, in the modern time period fighting the Yerks. And the reason that she needs to morph a butterfly is... Uh, it's going to be Chapman-related. We haven't seen him in oh, ages. I mean, he mm. did use his minivan recently. Except for when but he used his But it was off-screen. Yeah, exactly. But he's getting it repaired. <laughs> in uh, a butterfly garden. <laughs> Ooh, a butterfly garden would be a great reason to morph a butterfly. What is the departure? Oh, dang. Um, yeah, because the title's also... Often very helpful. <laughs> in the time always, of dinosaurs. In the time of dinosaurs. <laughs> with the decision had a collection. decision. The predator had a predator. an alien spaceship. <laughs> it also had a lobster, which is a predator. Apparently. Uh, the underground, they went underground. It's always perfectly apt. The departure is um, uh, they're going to kick Chapman off planet. <gasps> He's going to depart. Wow. Is he going to like go visit the places that he went to in the Andalite Chronicles? Yes. He gets his memories He's back. He's going to be the back. new assistant principal <laughs> of the middle school. Uh, it's going to be another flunky. Better or worse than Chapman? More competent. 
So therefore, it would cause more trouble. So this is like if Visser Three got replaced by Visser One, it would be really bad. It would be bad. Right? So yeah. This is, so this person, like, so this I guy, like this. I like this. This this person, if they tried to hit a, a Secret Service person with their minivan, mm-hmm. they would do a better job. Yes, and Not their security so would be better. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're ready. Ready to find out all about the stuff and the departure. Next up, anamorphology. <laughs> If you want to find us, we are at anamorphology.com and at anamorphology on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. And if you want to read along, you can find a link to the Anamorphs ebooks on our website. I have a big head and little arms. I'm just not sure how well this plan was thought through. <laughs> My favorite line.